Did you know that you can read our beautiful magazine online for free? Make sure that you check out obelovedone.com slash magazine. That's O as in O-H. Again, that's obelovedone.com slash magazine. We have a bunch of our issues up from last year and our most recent issues from this year. You can read all of them for free and they are absolutely beautiful. Our theme last year was pillars of the Christian faith and we just looked at, you know, basic things like prayer and devotionals and witnessing, things that are basic, but as humans, we tend to make really complicated. And this year, our theme is God is such a powerful study, just looking at who our God is and what he does. So make sure that you check that out. We'll see you over there. Now on to the episode. Hi guys, and welcome back to the O oh Beloved One podcast. O oh Beloved One is a blog, magazine, and podcast, and we are here to give you guys visually stunning practical resources that will aid young Christian women in taking their next step towards being more like Jesus Christ. In this episode, we are going to be continuing our series on looking at Ecclesiastes. We are going through this book chapter by chapter, and we are now on the fourth chapter. You can make sure to check out Um, all the other episodes that we've recorded. You do not have to listen to them in order, and of course you don't have to be reading along as we read this passage, but it would be cool if you guys can take some extra time, maybe before you listen to each episode and read the Ecclesiastes, and then just kind of take some time to think about it and reflect on it yourself, and then come back here. It's kind of like a, like a audible commentary. So, Ecclesiastes 4, let's go. I'm going to start out by just reading some of the verses. So, Ecclesiastes 4 is kind of negative. (laughs) It's one of those passages that you really have to have some maturity to find the, or to understand what he's really saying. Um, So, he starts out with, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Better than both is he who has not yet been, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So, whoa, this starts out with a really heavy hammer. It's like, I don't know, it's like waking up and there's just a hailstorm outside the window. And it's like, whoa, can we not just ease into this? I think it's really important that we acknowledge that there is evil in the world. There definitely is. Um, I know that there are some Christians that believe that the world is getting better. I, According to the Bible, I don't believe that's true. And according to what I'm seeing in the world... That is not true. There is evil. Evil is in the world. And because Adam sinned in the garden, he opened up that door to sin. And so sin is just a natural consequence. It's something that we have to deal with. Man is not innately good. I think people get so lost in this. Like we look at our world and we wonder, how are we where we are? And honestly, the question is really, you know, how how has man managed to act semi-civilized ever? 
because we are born with this just evil inside of us and it boils up inside of us and it spills over into mal and malevolent intentions towards other humans and greedy lust for power and for things that we just should not have. Life is painful too. I think becoming an adult is has a lot to do with just understanding that life is painful and that's okay. We, especially in America, have such this preconceived notion that we deserve comfort. And I'm speaking from experience, okay? I was literally in church tonight thinking, wow, all I want is to be comfortable. Really, like, is that too much to ask? And of course, God was like, Amanda, you do, we know, we know you do not grow when you are in your comfort zone. And unfortunately, that is very, very true. Life is painful and we are to come along one side or come alongside one another and cheer each other on. Give people our stories from when we were in their situations or just cheer them on even if we can't necessarily understand where they're coming from. Life is painful because a lot of it, we are either trying to get what we don't have or trying to get rid of something that we do have. And we have this idea in our heads that we just cannot live life until things are the way they should be. When I was little, I always loved the visual of, you know, getting your ducks in a row. I don't quite understand what that comes from, and I would love to look up the etymology of that, but our ducks will never be all in a row. They will always be all over the pond. They will be off in the grass. They will be trying to escape because that's sin, and that's this fallen world. It's... Okay, think with me for a second like an author would. For me, I always thought it was semi-romantic that we live in a world that is cursed. I mean, we all grew up watching Disney movies. My goodness, we all, you know, watch these stories about there's a curse and someone comes and lifts that curse. And it's just innate inside all of us that things are messed up. Things are not the way that they should be. But there is a prince, there is a holy royal king that comes and has broken the curse and breaks it personally on a person-to-person basis. In this case, it's almost like Solomon is saying that ignorance is bliss. He's basically saying that people who are dead are really lucky because they don't have to be going through the pain of life anymore and they aren't going through what we're going through right now. And he's also saying that people who haven't been born yet are really lucky because they are still in this ignorance. They're still in this, you know, like state of oblivion. Um, and he's honestly, I think he's being kind of cynical here. Um, you know, it, it almost is like a kid throwing a temper tantrum, you know, it's like, it's just better that I weren't around than be in this situation. And that's something that's so, so huge. The last thing you want to do when you are in those situations is praise. I just, oh, it just gets on my nerves when people are like, you know what? You can't control the situation. You just need to like praise your way out of it. Um, but I'm so, so grateful because it is the truth. It is the truth. And that's that's why you know because you hear this and you're in like the depths of despair or in a bad situation and you hear the truth and it kind of grates on your nerves. And doing the right thing is not easy. I don't think it's supposed to be easy. By God's grace, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And, you know, sometimes it's easier than other times. And if we're walking in the Spirit, it will be easier and easier. But I still believe that a lot of times... Doing the right thing is not going to be easy. Doing devotions in the morning is not easy. Uh, Saving time for a prayer time at night is not easy. Tithing. Tithing as a newly graduated single person is not easy. 
but we aren't called to do easy things. And again, we are not called to live in our comfort zone because that's not how we grow. So he goes on. He says, then I saw that all toil and skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So basically a lot of life is just trying to be better than other people or even just trying to keep up with people. I totally get this. I am a huge people pleaser and I feel like all my life I have been fighting this. I I have always been trying to stop measuring myself against other people, to stop trying to, you know, run their race at their speed and their way because everyone's race is different. We're all doing it at in different ways. We're all doing it at different speeds and comparison is a huge thief of joy in my life. And that's my own fault. I have to stop looking around. In a way there is, of course, always, you know, healthy competition. I think especially in the church, it's great to you know, have friends that are more spiritually strong than we are and they push us. Uh, I remember when I wasn't doing my personal devotions and I would be around stronger Christians and they would ask, hey, what are you learning in your devotions? And I hated when they asked me that because it made me feel like such a hypocrite because I was and they were totally, you know, unknowingly, but they were calling me out and like I had to sit there and say, something very generic, like, oh, God's convicting me of my pride. I'm reading Psalms, you know, like just things that weren't even true and deep at the heart. And now those are some of my favorite conversations. So now the next verse is kind of interesting. I actually had to go to my commentary to figure out what this meant. So it says the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Okay, hold up. What in the world does this mean? Obviously this is metaphorical. I, so my commentary was talking about how, like, we need an outside source to be sustained. Okay, so fools are people that don't do anything and only look to themselves for being sustained. This is the whole idea, like, back in the previous verse about looking to other people and trying to keep up with them. And not instead saying, hey, like, how can I help this person? How can I encourage them along in their journey? How can I be friends with them? How can we, like, have a... Have a, and not that relationships always have to be a give and get thing because sometimes there will be people in our lives that are just, we are always giving and they are never giving back. And sometimes we are called to relationships like that. But I think, I mean, our best friends are people that we have a an equal give and get relationship with, right? Uh, that's just natural. It's not, it's not pathetic to need other people. I know that for me, talking about my problems to other people, I feel so guilty and like I'm I'm hogging the conversation and, you know, sometimes you even just have to say things out loud that you, you think all the time, but you would never say because you know that this is a terrible lie that you believe. But saying it out loud is somehow worse than like thinking it in your head. In your head, it's safe, you know, it's a lie, but somehow you can still keep believing it. You can be living in this kind of paradox. But once you actually say to your friend this lie, like just saying out loud, you realize, whoa, this is not even true. And you have a friend there that can also say, hey, this isn't true. Let me, you know, take you back to scriptures. Let me pray for you. Let, let's figure out what this, what's wrong with this. Um, life is a solo journey in that 
you are responsible for your relationship with God and you are responsible for your view of the world and your reactions. But life is a journey with your fellow man in that we aren't called to live alone. That's why God made other humans. That's why God made marriage because we need companionship and we need friends and friends build up and friends say the hard things and friends push us to be better people. Proud people are people that don't love anyone else and pretend that they don't need anyone else. You need people and people need you and that's okay. So verse 6 says, Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Wow. Okay, I needed this verse this past week. So I'm going to turn to my notes and this is what I had written at the time. So I'm a doer and I'm often afraid of silence. Silence isn't entertaining and it forces me to acknowledge my lingering emptiness. I mean, I come home from work and practically immediately I call my mom and then for the rest of the night I turn on a show or some music so that there's like never quietness. But last week started out really strong and I think it was because there were just two nights that I really needed God's intervention in my life and so I just turned off all sound and I just prayed. I believe I did one like night and then one morning as I was getting ready. Sometimes you just have to invite the silence into your life. And the world has done such a good job of trying to distract us. I mean, Netflix binge, hello, Uh, Instagram, Reels, turn on some Spotify. I mean, even a podcast like this could be a distraction. Um, Doing helps me feel worthy, needed, and gets my mind off of everything. So this verse says sometimes you just got to rest. You have to know when to rest and you have to know when to turn off the entertainment and to just sit and to feel. It's better than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. As I said in my notes, I tend to block out pain and problems by doing. Like I add a new project to my work list. I, you know, sign up for extra things. I just, I do, do, do. Because doing makes me not have to feel. And feeling makes me feel like there are actually problems. So I just want to avoid the problems. It's like a, I'm a feelings procrastinator. I, I don't mind feelings, but problems are rooted in them. And that, that is messy, and I do not like that. But it's time to be okay with quietness. Silence is not your enemy. Verse 7 says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So now we pivot in this verse from cynical to more like kind of pointing out and still kind of in a negative way, but the importance of human connection. So this verse talks about at least, so if you're going to work, at least we can be working for the ones that we love. A lot of you guys that are, you know, listening are probably single, but you're probably still at home. So um, perhaps your family enjoys the benefits of your work. And maybe it's not even that you bring home money to help support your family. It's just that you are out there learning skills that are benefiting 
you know, your family and your parents are seeing that they raised a good child, <laughs> well done, you can successfully work in the workforce. But once we do one day go out and have families, the things that we're working for, um, of course, we all think of money, but like your legacy, the things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis, it's leaving a legacy for your children and for the people around you. And as a single person, I, I believe, of course, that um, the whole Bible can be applied to every situation. So as a single person, I want to think about this and apply it to myself personally. So for me, when I do a good job at work, it helps the whole entire company. It helps my coworkers. It puts less strain on my boss. When I do a good job at work, I, I feel like I'm, you know, giving to society. I'm being a good community member. That feels, that's really feely. Um, but I'm, I'm doing my part. I'm become a better person. And even stuff like, oh, beloved one, if you have a side blog or a side business, side something like that, the things that you're doing, it's leaving a legacy. Um, I don't have children and do not have children, but I'm leaving a legacy on the people like you guys that are listening to this podcast, right? My hard work is giving you guys something to listen to and to encourage you, perhaps on a Monday morning when you're just, you know, not really looking forward to another week of school or you're listening to it Wednesday and it's hump day and you just had the week of your life at work and you're drowning and you just need something to stabilize you. We're all leaving a legacy. We do not have to have children or a husband to have a lasting legacy. Look around you at your community and even look around you on social media. People on, I don't think this is as common anymore. Um, I actually made a best friend online through blogging and people used to look at me like that was so weird. And this was what, like maybe 2014, but now, oh my goodness, like making friends online is a totally normal thing. And some, I have some really, really good friends online and I've never met them face to face, but I like their Instagram photos every day and I know a lot about them because I have a relationship with them and I'm leaving a legacy with them. I don't know about you, but I feel like my mom always used to read this verse to me. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So obviously, two people get more accomplished and get back up faster. They can provide for your for each other's needs, and they can protect each other from enemies. And I, I love thinking about these things, of course, spiritually, um, together with our friends at church. If one falls, someone's going to help you back up. Someone's going to tell you the truth, tell you how it is. They're going to invite you over for a meal. They're going to be that community that you need. Um, if you if you have you know physical needs, they will be there for you. I love hearing about how you know pastors go to the hospitals and they just encourage people. And I got a box in the mail maybe a month ago now. It was just absolutely amazing. I I was I actually was tearing up because there was this community of girls that I had signed up with, and it was like a happy meal club, and someone nominated me to be the person to get this. And all these Christian girls from across the country were so loving. And I got so 
many cards. I kid you not, there must have been 30 or 40 cards. And I got candles and pot holders and a mug and a tea diffuser and just all this stuff. And it was so, so giving. They provided for my physical needs, but they really provided for my spiritual needs. I needed that. I needed that reminder. They also, we can protect each other from the enemy. Um, so when you're under great spiritual attack, someone can come alongside you and encourage you. I am, obviously, I keep saying the word encourage in this episode. I am a huge believer in the power of encouragement. I love coming alongside people and, you know, even if I didn't necessarily walk that path in the past, I love kind of, you know, maybe giving them directions on someone who can better um, show them the path or a website or Instagram page. I just, I love, I'm like a resource bank. This is why I have Oh Beloved One because it's literally just a bunch of resources. Now, I think being independent, I, I can't decide if this is kind of like a personality thing or if it's just a human thing that we are naturally, that we want to be independent and refuse assistance. And again, we talked about this, Solomon does a really good job of weaving this all together, but a couple verses ago, you know, it's not bad if you accept assistance, just accept it. And I remember when my mom had cancer, so many people were, you know, asking if they could bring over meals. And sometimes it was just like, we have meals like in the freezer, ready to go. We don't really need another meal. But I remember telling my mom, you know what? I think you should just let people bring stuff over because at the end of the day, it's not, it's not always about if we need the food, it's actually giving people an opportunity to serve. And that is powerful. You could actually be a blessing, even though you're the recipient of getting something, you could be a recipient because you are giving the person the ability to serve. If someone offers to, you know, take you out for a meal or to bring you a meal or to have a time of prayer with you and you're just like, no, because you feel icky about it and like maybe even like they're going out of their way and you don't want to be a bother to them. No, give them that opportunity because God says in his word that he will bless people that serve and that, you know, minister to people and stuff like that. So if you say no, you're deriving them of an opportunity to be blessed by God and for you to be blessed by God through them. You see how this, so it's like a beautiful, it's a beautiful chord. It's a beautiful harmony of God working through his people to love on his people. So lastly, we get a little example. So better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So here we get like a contrast. So the good person is, yes, poor, but he's also wise. Man, in the Bible, being wise is better than being rich. I mean, just look at Solomon. Solomon wrote this book. Like, he of all people would know. Just because you got money does not mean that you're going to have a good life. And you could be so, so rich, but the least wise person in the world. And there's a lot of those. <laughs> because when you have money, you don't always have to be wise. At least biblically wise. Maybe financially wise. So when I think about this, I think of a couple people. I think of Joseph. So Joseph obviously was poor because he started out as a slave in Pharaoh's house. He later became 
very, very well known, very um, high up, but at the beginning, he was definitely poor. However, he had that wisdom, and that was so, so important to God. Wisdom is so, so important. There was David. David started out as a young shepherd boy. Again, he was young, check. He was poor. He was a shepherd. There's no way he was doing really well for himself. But he was wise, and God made him a king. And then lastly, I think about Daniel. Daniel was also kidnapped um, in a way like Joseph. He was kidnapped from his homeland and brought to Babylon. He was young, and yet he was wise. And in fact, the Bible says that people noted that he was wise. So much, in fact, that he excelled above all the other people that had been kidnapped, and he was promoted and looked up to. Now, we contrast this with the old, foolish, and stubborn king. So there's these poor, wise people, and yet they are well off. They are much bigger in God's eyes, better people than an old, foolish, stubborn king. I feel like we can think of Pharaoh here. He was definitely foolish and stubborn. I think we can think of Saul, so stubborn, wanted to do everything his own way, moody, upset, just a mean, bad person. And it doesn't matter at the end of the day what your position is. It doesn't matter your financial status. God wants... And it doesn't even, I want to bring this up, it doesn't even matter your age. I believed so long the lie that because I was young, I couldn't do devotions. I knew that I could, but I just felt like, I don't know, I feel like there were some things in life that, there were just some things in life that I overlooked because I was like, well, I'm not an adult, so I don't need to like do that or think about it. Even though it might be a good thing, I don't need to do that. And doing devotions was one of those things. It's like, oh, the adults can do that. I don't really need to do that yet. And that is such a lie. My The last thing that I wanted to bring up is something that really, really hit me a couple years ago. It's that we should enjoy now. And you know why? Because one day, we will die and be forgotten. I remember when I was little, and I feel like a lot of kids probably think this, especially going through grade school, like I wanted to be in a history book. I wanted to do something cool and fabulous. I wanted to save people's lives. I wanted to be a bold term on a test that a little kid like me would be trying to like remember what the answer was to and my name would be on there. And yet as you get older and you mature in your faith, you realize that no one, no, no person in the Bible who was close to God, their goal was not to get in the Bible. Their goal was not to be, you know, known for forever. Their goal was not to be in history books. Their goal was for people to look at them and see Jesus. You know? Moses wasn't doing stuff hoping that he would be a legacy for forever. Peter wasn't doing things hoping that he would be famous. A lot of these people ended up dying really tragically. And if you look at their lives, yes, they were amazing by God's standards, but by the world's standards, like, honestly, let's, by the world's standards, they failed, right? A lot of these people were never rich. A lot of them maybe were even um, high in power, but they ended up stepping down or they ended up doing things so that they were not popular or they didn't, you know, abuse their power like most people in positions like that would. And yet 
there are people in my life who I look at and I really do. I see Jesus and I totally understand what the Bible means. And that I love that song about I, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. There are people in my life that are so, so like that. And a part of maturing in your Christian faith is being willing to say, you know what? I do not have to be remembered. And in fact, I don't want to be remembered. Do not, do not remember me. Do not remember my name. It's not important. As a kid, I thought it would be so cool to have, you know, like great, 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 great grandkids who know all about me and are looking at my pictures and like reading my story or whatever. But again, the legacy that matters is that if I do have children, that I have promoted a legacy of having a Christian family for generations and generations. That's what matters. Not my face, not my name, not that I live in LA as a professional graphic designer. None of that matters. And that is something that should honestly haunt us. What will people remember us for? For the, for the short while that we are remembered, you know, the people that are older, that grew up with us, our children who we raised to love God, what will they remember? And I, I'm not sure what people would, you know, remember about me, what they would think about me. Uh, a lot of my life is haunted by, you know, our people at the kitchen table having discussions about me. Uh, when I played soccer, I never wanted to be the person who people went back home that night and were like, did you see Amanda? She was so off her game. She could not keep the ball at her feet, blah, 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 blah. And I just, I still have to be so, so careful because what people say about me when I'm not there tends to be so important to me. And yet, should that really matter? It should matter that they aren't saying that I'm a terrible person because I'm mean and I have a snarky attitude. But it should really matter that you know, I'm, I'm pricking people's consciences. I'm trying to, you know, lead them to God. I'm trying to show them God in their lives. That's what matters. So that was Ecclesiastes 4. Next week, we will be back with Ecclesiastes 5. Thanks so much for following along on this journey with me, guys. If you're a longtime listener, I would love if you subscribe to this podcast just to show your support. And if you can leave a review, that would also mean the world to me. Make sure that you follow us on Instagram at beloved.magazine. There's so much more content like this. You can share our page with your friends. I try to post really just uplifting content that when you're scrolling through your feed, this will be a breath of fresh air. I try to post, you know, little mini devotionals with cool photography. So I would love if you follow me there. If you have any questions or if you have any prayer requests, always please feel free to DM me. I respond to everyone that writes me. Um, so guys, I will talk to you again next week. And until then, remember that you are beloved by the king of the universe.